0: on Saturday there is um, a special movie night that's taking place. A few of the churches in town kind of came together to put on a movie that was released back in November uh, by Voice of the Martyrs. If you're not familiar with Voice of the Martyrs, it's an organization that really just tries to bring attention to the persecuted church around the world. Um, I know that sometimes in our nation we feel like Every time something starts happening on a world scene like this, we think it's the end of the world. But I promise you um, that for believers around the world, this has been a normal way of life for many years. Um, there actually are more martyrs for Christ right now, currently, year by year, than there ever have been at any other point in history. And so this is a uh, an organization that just tries to bring an awareness to it and mobilize the church to pray For the persecuted church around the world and they released a movie that's called sabina and that's going to be showing on saturday night uh, at james valley christian school auditorium there's no cost it's free the movie is rated pg-13 so if you plan to bring young children um, there is a website the sabinamovie.com you can find out more information but i've got a preview video that i want to show you just to give you an idea of what the film's about so let's watch this preview video The same things every girl wants and then a little bit more i want you to meet some more. Oh. is every bit as ambitious as you <laughs> <laughs> who's this she is my niece sabina oster my mother is nagging me to get married she's even picked out a girl that sounds very nice for you what do you think i think my mother should ask me that question Your mother's gonna kill me. Hey, Brandon. The SS can be looking for you today. I'm not hiding. And you should. Uh since uh, been a Vina we can get you to the border if we leave now. You know this is ridiculous. I'm collecting all the verses in the Bible that tell us not to be afraid. I think I might need to lean on all of them. If we stay, I'll follow the others into prison. It will be the end of our life together. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We believe this or we don't. I think we have to stay. We have a job to do. Interestingly, as we talk about the faithfulness of God today, um, the movie really depicts the faithfulness of God, especially when it doesn't look like God is being faithful and uh, really portrays the power of forgiveness. And so, uh, great film. encourage you to be a part of it. It's uh, Saturday night, 6.30. And uh, if you need more information, feel free to contact me this week and I can point you in the right direction. So, today, we are going to continue through our series. We have been in a series since October called The Life You've Always Wanted, based on a book by John Ortberg. There are copies of the book available in the back. And basically, the book is about spiritual disciplines and how we as believers should use spiritual disciplines to help us to grow in our lives, to help us to experience the life that Jesus died to provide for us. And so as we've gone through each of these disciplines, we've talked about how to practice them, put them into practice, work them into our lives, and uh, as I was reminded by a friend this week, when maybe I wasn't displaying uh, the type of slowing that I needed to display, that we can need to continue to practice those things in our lives. And so um, to this last month, we were talking about the the practice of confession, um, how as believers we can use confession in our lives regularly or even in just seasons of our lives specifically to really allow the Holy Spirit to, to work. We talked about 1 Johns chapter 1 and 2. We looked at Psalm chapter 51 over the last couple weeks. And I told you that I wanted to talk today about confession as it relates to living in community. Living in community. In fact, the, the title of the message today is Living in Community. And when we first started this series, one of the verses that we read together that I utilized was from James chapter five, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I don't know about you, but when we start talking about confessing our sins to each other, I don't know what type of thoughts um, come to your mind. But are we the type of church body where people can freely and easily confess sins and flaws to each other. And if we're not, what are you and I doing to become the type of body where that's possible? I believe that community is vital to experiencing confession the way the Father designed. I don't, as we talked over the last couple of weeks, I don't know that confession is what's needed for forgiveness as much as it is for healing. Okay, okay. I believe when we come to faith in Christ, we receive the forgiveness of Christ. And I don't know that we have to confess every sin every day in order to to maintain Christ's forgiveness in our lives. I don't think that we're dangling over hell by a string. And if we forget to confess a sin, that we're going to be plunged into outer darkness. But I do think confession is absolutely important in our lives to experience not just physical healing, but wholeness in our lives. And if we don't confess our sins, and especially to each other, because I have news for you, you and I have blind spots in our lives. And there are things that I can get easily accustomed to in my life that are not wholesome, that are not productive, that may or may not be quote-unquote sin. But if I don't remove them from my life, I will not experience the wholeness that Christ intends me to experience. And we need one another in order to do that. And we don't just need the people that we agree with 100 percent or the people that we like or, you know, hey, I have a group of, you know, five core friends, but we need one another. We need those people that God brings into our body that we don't see eye to eye with and working out our relationship with one another actually brings us into a place that God intends for us to be in our world today. We, especially in our American culture, we use every excuse to hold people at a distance. Um, I know that we use social media as a way to say that we're connecting with people, but by and large, we really don't connect with people on a deep level. We talk about surface things. We talk about things that are easy to talk about. Uh, We talk about sports. We talk about politics. We talk about um, the weather, we talk about the stock market. We talk, I mean, we talk about things that really don't really impact our hearts, our lives. We don't wrestle through that. And I believe most Christians long for the type of community where that could happen, but we don't actually take the steps to get where we need to go. And sometimes it's because we've been hurt. We've experienced hurt in the church world in the past, and so be, as a result of that, um we're afraid to open our hearts to other people again sometimes it's just because of cynicism like we just think people are so flawed that we'll just never get there so we don't even take steps to try to get there sometimes it's a bias it's just the fact that i don't see how important community is in the scripture And so, therefore, I don't take steps to to be in community. I think the only thing that matters is as long as I'm in right relationship with God, and we don't see the way that Scripture actually says if you're not in right relationship with other people, other human beings, you're actually not in right relationship with God. Because that's where our relationship with God is exposed, in our relationship with other people. Like, I can't say I'm in right relationship with God if I'm pretty much a jerk to the people around me. What that shows is I haven't experienced the love of God in a way that actually shows up in my relationships horizontally. And so it's important that we learn how to live in this type of Christian community. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says it this way Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. See, The key is not to try to expose people, it's to try to restore people. And I know that we live in a world right now where the the situations that revolve around people like Ravi Zacharias and the things that were being hidden in his behavior and his treatment of women and even a little further back with men like Bill Hybels. And this isn't about condemning or shaming Bill Hybels or Ravi Zacharias, um, but there can easily become a culture in the church where sin is glossed over, where it's ignored, because we don't have the type of community where we can actually confront sin when it exists. The opposite extreme of that is where we confront everything. We think our job is Holy Spirit. I am the Holy Spirit for everyone around me, and it is my job to point out all of the flaws and and things that people do wrong in their lives and to do it on a regular basis. While I think it's important and scriptural to point out sin in each other's lives, I think the encouragement and the building one another up should far outweigh any pointing out of sin in our lives. In fact, as we walk through it, maybe that will become clearer and clearer. And I think this is important in our culture, to fight for this type of community and develop this type of community is because God is this type of community. Why does God call us to be a body, to be united with one another? Why did Jesus pray that we would be one so that the whole world would know that He came from the Father? Because He is a community in Himself. There's so much in Scripture that points to this, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul closes his letter with this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. They work together. They are together. They are one. They're not three separate gods. They're one God in community with one another at all times. And it is... It's a shame on the body of Christ that we call ourselves followers of Christ and we can't live in this type of community with one another. I don't want you to walk out today with a heavy weight of, oh man, we we definitely don't do this well. I actually hope that I put hope in your hearts to take one step, two steps into what it looks like to live out Christian community. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, again, the first week that we started talking about confession, um, I brought up this these words from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he's talking about celebrating the, the Lord's Supper, commun- what we call communion. And he says, if anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, I grew up in church where we, every time we would have communion, we would examine ourselves to make sure there was not unconfessed sin in our lives, which I'm totally not opposed to. That is probably a very good idea to quiet ourselves before we partake of what represents the blood of Jesus that brings forgiveness, that we just quiet ourselves and say, Holy Spirit, is there something in my life that I should confess? But the context of what the Apostle Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 has nothing to do with individual sin it has everything to do with how the body of Christ is treating one another or how they're actually mistreating one another. And this is the one part of his letter to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the, everything he's written that we have record of to the Corinthians, the one part where he says about this next thing, I don't have anything good to say about you at all. Wow. Because you, we have to understand the way we treat other people is far more important to God than we actually realize in our lives. Because on a regular basis, we mistreat people and we don't feel the weight or confess that type of treatment regularly. So then he goes on and says we should examine ourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, he's not talking about a cracker here. He's not talking about bread as the body of Christ. He's talking about the people, the body of Christ. If you take communion, but you're not honoring the body of Christ, and not honoring the body of Christ could mean I just have my own personal relationship with Jesus and I'm not even a part of the body of Christ. It could just be ignoring the people around us. It doesn't necessarily have to be mistreating the people around us. You're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But we, if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so we'll not be condemned with the world. In other words, Paul's saying when God comes to correct us or even to judge us at times, it's to bring us into life. It's not because, again, he's dangling us over hell and he wants us to die. It's because he wants us to experience life. And this idea of community is important to experiencing that. I don't know if you've ever, um, the King James Version uses the word abomination when it talks about certain sins in the Old Testament. Those things are an abomination or they're detestable sins. And in our church world, we we talk about homosexuality because in Leviticus chapter 18, the Bible does refer to Lying with a man the way that you lie with a woman is an abomination. It's a detestable sin in the eyes of God. But what we don't often talk about is Proverbs chapter 6. In Proverbs chapter 6, the abomination there is one who sows discord among brothers. So when I start slandering or having a conversation with someone about person A over here, and I'm putting that I'm sowing discord. Oh, but what I'm saying is true. I'm sowing discord because I'm not trying to restore that person. I'm actually trying to bring division somewhere else. And we do that on a regular basis in the church world. We talk about so and so and I can't believe what they did to me. And can you believe what they did to that that person over there? And that person, I don't even know how they call themselves a Christian as if. I have everything together. I'm perfect. And that person has flaws. Ultimately, that's what we're saying. Is that they have flaws. I don't. And so I'm justified in putting them down. Or slandering them. And I would say. We should pay as much attention to sowing discord. As we pay to sexual sin. In our world today. The reason I bring up. The letters to the corinthian church is because of all of the churches in the new testament i would say my opinion that the corinthian church is the most dysfunctional uh it's got the most wrong with it it's got um, all kinds of rebukes and corrections i mean paul wrote two different letters that we have record of to the corinthians most scholars believe he at least wrote a third letter that we don't have in fact in second corinthians he refers to the sorrowful or tearful letter that he had to write them to severely rebuke them we don't have record of that letter but we pretty much think it exists because he refers to it some scholars believe that paul actually wrote four different letters to the corinthian church and that somewhere between first Corinthians or before first corinthians in our bible there was a letter that we don't have but Whether he wrote three letters or four letters, the book of 2 Corinthians is his last letter that we have record of written to this church. And so a long list of corrections and problems and difficulties that he's working through. And then we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and I want to look just at verse 11 today. Verse 11, he says, finally. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Now you gotta keep it in the context of everything he's ever written and done with the Corinthian church over a period of however many years that he's been working with them. He's written one letter that was so difficult that it actually brought him to tears. Um, he has written many things in First Corinthians and Second Corinthians that are corrections and rebukes and strong rebukes, even what we l- looked at just a minute ago in chapter 11, that he says, I don't have anything good to say about you, according in, in this thing. But what he does at the end of this letter by saying to them, Rejoice. The most dysfunctional church in the New Testament. Rejoice. In other words, stay in a place of hope. See, it's easy for us to get cynical, to get frustrated, to give up. In fact, I I once picked up a book from Barnes and Nobles. We were there having coffee and there was a book on the shelf called Love Jesus, Hate Church. Love Jesus, hate church. And, you know, it's a shocking title It would intrigue me. And so I read parts of it. I couldn't read it because that is unbiblical. You cannot love Jesus and hate his bride, his body. Now, you may be like the Apostle Paul, and there may be a lot of dysfunction that needs to be corrected and a lot of things that need to be brought to the surface. But to actually say you hate the body of Christ, there's no place for that. I have been a part of the church all of my life, all 46 years of it. Okay, I was raised on the front row of a church. Uh, my dad served as a deacon. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. Every time the church doors were open, we were there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all the time, we were in church. And for the 22 years that I lived in my parents' household, we went to the same church, the same church. And I saw a lot of dysfunction in that church. Um, I ha- we had pastors that had moral failures while I was there. Um, we had pastors that had moral failures that people didn't know about. But then later on, we found out about. But those pastors were asked to leave. The leadership knew about some of the things that were happening. And some of it didn't get exposed until later on. Uh, we had people, we had a pastor leave the church that I was a part of, and actually plant another church in the same town. I mean, I, it, if you want to talk about dysfunction, I saw it. I watched it. I mean, my own family experienced it because there was a fight on the deacon board one time, and um, one of those members left the church and didn't go back for a number of years because of his the feelings that got hurt. I mean, I watched it, and I participated in it. When I went to Bible college, I started to get a little bit of knowledge about, you know, how to to teach the scriptures and how to interpret the scriptures. And of course. I'm right. And the person that's pastoring this church needs my help. I'm the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I remember a time I got so angry at something that was being taught in the, the worship service that I left the worship center, the sanctuary, and I went out in the lobby and I was out there with a friend of mine who was also um, a Bible college graduate. And we were like so mad. And we were like in while the service is going on, talking about how ridiculous what was being preached was. And another lady came out angry at that pastor and angry at what was being taught. And uh, you know what was being taught? That the, the Bible, uh, the, the apostles didn't even have the written scripture that we have. They relied upon the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that was what was being taught. That's what got me so worked up and so in a frenzy that I went out in the lobby and had to, like, uh, vent. and, And, you know, the whole time all that happened, I thought I was right. And looking back on it, wow, was I an idiot. Because that's not how we handle things in the body of Christ. In fact, after I became a pastor, I struggled with the guilt of that for so long that I actually called the pastor that I caused problems for and um, which is interesting because after that pastor left our church, he divorced his wife. He actually committed adultery, divorced his wife, and married someone else. So it's easy then for me to say, see, I was totally justified and he was wrong. Uh, yet I didn't. I really felt like I needed to apologize. And so I did. I called him and I apologized and I still couldn't shake the guilt of it. You know, it was like I just needed closure. And I was in Kansas City at our general council and uh, I was at an altar just worshiping. Uh, I had responded to the whatever the message was that day. And when I stopped worshiping, I turned around. And I kid you not, out of all the pastors in all of the country, he was standing directly behind me. Um, so I apologized again. And I'll never forget. He, he looked at me and he said, like, Tommy, you don't have to apologize more than once. Yeah, that's what people call me back home. And so. He's like, it's forgiven. It's forgotten. Don't carry it anymore. And we hugged, and right beside him was the associate pastor at the time that I grew up to, and it was a fun reunion, and uh, just loved how God worked out the opportunity for me to do that. So I, th- I tell you that to say I've experienced the dysfunction of church. Uh, I've been in this church for 24 years, and I've seen good, bad, and ugly. I've had people leave our church Because of mistakes I've made, I've had people leave our church and lie about things that I actually didn't do. I mean, there's enough truth about things that I don't do, right, that you don't have to make up stories. You could just actually tell the factual ones, but I don't recommend it because we make mistakes. And I believe throughout the scripture, we see it, too, even with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul split from Barnabas because they couldn't agree about whether John Mark should come with them. Because John Mark had abandoned them. Paul didn't think he needed to come. Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance, and they split. But you know what I love about the Apostle Paul? Is that at the end of his life, in one of his writings, he asks for John Mark to come to him. Because he's become so important to me. So even though there was a split at one time, they never stopped working on reconciliation. And so it's not about people that have left a church or not left a church or not. It's not about that. It's about continuing to work together and come together as the body of Christ and to recognize sometimes people are going to do it wrong. And that doesn't make them outside the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in all of their mistakes, in all of their flaws. And make sure you understand this. The biggest problem with the Corinthian church is the way that they're treating the Apostle Paul. The things that are being said about, he's being lied about, he's being slandered. They're disregarding things that he is telling them to do as an apostle. And all of that, at the end of this letter, look what he says. Even before rejoice, brothers and sisters, No, how can you even call yourselves Christians? Brothers and sisters. I'm not trying to advocate that um, there is no such thing as sin, so we should just call everyone a brother or sister. No, there's a time for correction. Even in the letter to the Corinthians, there was a time to put a man out of the church so that he would come to his senses and hopefully be restored back into the church. So yeah, there's a time to draw a line. I just feel like in our culture today, we draw lines everywhere. And we take people who make a mistake or a few mistakes and we draw a line and we put them out of the church and we stop calling them brothers and sisters and we stop working toward reconciliation. Even as I was preparing this message and I thought about Ravi Zacharias and I thought about Bill Hybels and of course Ravi has passed on. And, I'm, and, and of course the question just popped into my mind, did Ravi Zacharias go to heaven or hell? I mean, he was doing some pretty crazy stuff and mistreating a lot of women. And here's what I've come to. I don't know. I don't know. I believe the grace of God is big enough that Ravi Zacharias is in heaven. I just don't know. And here's the thing. It's not my job to figure out. (laughs) It's just my job to work among the living and to try to bring everybody into the kingdom. And just because someone disagrees with me doesn't not make them my brother or sister. Just because someone even slanders me doesn't make them not my brother or sister. This is how restoration is worked out in our lives. If we cannot stay in a place of hope, whether it's church, our marriage, our job, our community, our nation, if we cannot stay in a place of hope, if we fall into cynicism or frustration or we just give up and become indifferent, it's not a result of what's happening around us. It's a re- result of the lack of character within us. i say that again. If we cannot stay in a place of hope in anything, church world, community, anything, it's not because of what's happening around us. It's a lack of character on the inside of us. In James chapter one, consider a pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because, you know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Romans chapter five, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Suffering hope first Peter chapter four dear friends do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you when we are involved in a place where whether it's at work or it's in our our marriage or whether it's in our church and there's friction there's tension there's just difficulty that's not a sign of the absence of God that doesn't mean you took a wrong turn, that you married the wrong person, that you're at the wrong church. In fact, statistically, people who leave a church are very likely to leave another one. People who leave a marriage and get divorced are more likely to divorce again. And we live in a, a culture where we go from job to job to job to job to job, to job, job, job. Because we're looking for the elusive happiness on the outside of us, and it's supposed to be produced on the inside of us. I'm not saying, again, there's never a time to leave any of those situations, but we have become a culture that just leaves all the time. And we don't develop the type of character to stay in hope. Just look at your Christian friends' Facebook pages. There's way more critical cynicism than there is hope being posted day after day by the church world. We should be in hope. We should be able to rejoice even in the most dysfunctional of places, even when we're being mistreated. Because that's what the Apostle Paul says. Then he says to them, aim for restoration. And it's interesting, there's so much um, debate about how to to translate this passage, um, this part of the passage. Some verses will say strive for restoration, some will say be restored Um, In fact, alluding back to verse 9 where the Apostle Paul says, our prayer for you is that you would be fully restored. He's summing that up right here at the end of this chapter. Rejoice, stay in hope, aim for restoration. And the, the problem is we're not exactly sure what voice this is written in. If you know anything about your English, if something's written in the active voice, it means that the subject, you and I, should be acting. We should be striving for full restoration. Most scholars don't believe this is written in the active voice. They think it's either written in middle voice or passive voice. Passive voice means that we're acted upon. Be restored. In other words, we have to let God do the restoration process within us. That's pretty good. But the middle voice means that there's both something the subject should do and something that needs to be acted upon. And I don't know... Whether it's, I don't know Greek well enough to know whether this is middle, passive, or active, but I like the middle. Because I believe Scripture teaches us there is a part of this restoration process that is all God. Amen. But there's a part of this process where I have to act. And interestingly, where Paul says aim for restoration or aim for growth or aim for maturity, however you want to do that, I believe this happens In community. What do you mean? Well, let's look at what he goes on to say. Okay, aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. With one another. Restoration. The litmus test for whether restoration is having its work in my life is, am I comforting one another, agreeing with one another, and living in peace with one another? And so let's talk about those three. Comfort. The word comfort, some translations will use encourage. We should be comforting and encouraging one another. Not being critical of one another. In fact, In Galatians 5.15, the Apostle Paul warns, if you continue to bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. The church cannot continue to do what we've been doing over the last several years of biting and devouring each other and think that we will not destroy each other. Comfort and encouragement. Again, a time to point out errors, but I think encouragement and blessing ought to overwhelm the negative in our lives. We should be finding people doing things right. I confess to you over this series, in fact, over these last couple of weeks, that I used to think that it was my gift to be able to see the things that were wrong. Um, Some people mistakenly think the prophetic gift is the ability to, to correct or see things that are wrong, not just in people or in relationships, but even in institutions. Or And while that may be a part of the prophetic, the part of the prophetic, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the prophetic word that was given in the church was meant to exhort, to edify, and to strengthen the body. Now, there's a time for correction, but sometimes it's just flat-out critical. And we need to be more encouraging and strengthening and edifying of one another in the body of Christ. In fact, if we would do that regularly, anytime we'd have to correct, we'd have spiritual bank with one another to be able to to correct one another without everyone flying off the handle. The problem is we try to correct people that we have no relationship with. We've not sowed anything good in their lives. And yet we come along and try to correct them because we think, again, we're the Holy Spirit. And we should point that out for them. And then we wonder why it doesn't go well. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, when you're going to correct a fellow believer, however, whatever measure you use to correct them, that's what I'm going to use on you. Again, be merciful because I've been merciful. And then he says, take the log out of your own eye so that you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What Jesus is trying to tell us is, if you see four flaws in your brother, guaranteed there's at least four in your life. And so before you go about correcting them, do an inventory and make sure that you're not supposed to do something encouraging that helps take care of those four things and make sure that you're actually supposed to correct them. Or make sure that the reason you're correcting them is is for their spiritual good and not just for your own vindic- vindication, if you will. Someone wronged me, so I'm going to go point out what they did and how wrong they were to me. Go watch the Sabina movie and you'll hear about the power of forgiveness. And then then see that one. So we have to come to the place where comfort and encouragement is the biggest part of our body. Then he says this, agree with one another. And I, I love this because... We look at this, and we're like, agree with one another. Well, How is that possible? I mean, we live in a world that is so polarized right now. Even the church is so polarized about everything. Everybody has an opinion about everything. For goodness sake, even Wordle, people are getting everything all, I can't, Wordle's so dumb, and they're actually trying to sabotage other people's Wordle game by sending them the right answer so they can't even be a part, it's just like, Why does everything have to be so But lest you think we have to agree with each other is just an easy thing. It's not. If we're going to be in agreement with each other when there's disagreement, both of us have to make a change. Both of us. And I know, I know, but Pastor Tom, I'm right because I've got Bible verses. Well, so do they. Now what do we do? We've talked about binding and loosing in the the Jewish culture and how they would wrestle with the Scripture, and they would literally just, I mean, they would the spit would fly. (laughs) That's the type of debate that they would have. But at the end of the day, they were a community. And they found a way, not on the first try always, but they found a way to come together. The Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, I entreat. Yoda and I entreat Sinishi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, my true companion, help these women who have labored by my side in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In our community, how many people know about your disagreements with other people in the body of Christ? And should they? We work them out. We come to a place of agreement, and that may take the rest of our lives. How do we stay in community with each other when we're just trying to come to agreement? Well, Paul says it in the last phrase, live in peace. Live in peace. What's he saying? He's he's saying God is over all. You, You don't have to get everyone to agree with you. Live at peace. It's not your job to fix everybody. Live at peace. You don't always have to be right. Live at peace. I mean, you can trust the peace of God. You can actually stay in relationship with people and actually call them brothers and sisters, even when there's this, because of the peace of God. Because you're going to continue to look inside and examine yourself and they're going to keep looking. As much as it depends upon you, Romans 12, 12 18, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Here's a test to know if you're if you're leaning towards cynicism or not. When you read Romans 12, 18, do you look at the exception first? In other words, when you read Romans 12, 18, do you say, well, see, I have done everything I can to be at peace with this person, so therefore, I am right. Or do you read it as Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You ever heard that verse before? I heard that growing up all the time. Without holiness... No one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And I wish at some point in my growing up years or in my 46 years in the church, someone would have said, hey, by the way, that's in the context of living at peace with other people. Because most of the time, holiness is about a list of certain things that you could do or not do, not in how you live in relationship with other human beings. And yet the writer of Hebrews says, live at peace with everyone, be holy. Not saying that holiness isn't all of those other things, but our relationships with one another is the biggest litmus test of our holiness. So, as we go through the month of confession, we've been talking every week about opening our hearts, Holy Spirit, search me, show me. I hope that we recognize community is an important part of confession. We need a place where members of the body of Christ can actually confess our sins one to another. And I don't know about you, but my experience in the church hasn't been all good. It hasn't. And I, I can't say that all of my life I have loved the church. I, I guarantee you there are seasons in my life where I've been critical of the church. I've probably even just been indifferent, just done with it love God. It's church people. I can't stand that type of attitude that's common in our world today. But I can honestly say I'm in a place in my life where I love the church. I mean, she is flawed. She is not perfect. There's a lot of things I think in the church world that need corrected. I don't know if I'm right on all of them. But I love Christian community. I love the broader body of Christ. Every year that I've been the pastor of this church, I've been a part of the ministerial association in town with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't agree with all of their church doctrine, but yet I've never heard anything at any of those tables that would cause me to question their salvation or their love and passion for the Lord. In fact, being at the table with them has helped me to actually see them more as a brother and sister in the Lord. It's actually brought clarity to some of their doctrines that I thought I understood before. It's funny how different people look up close than at a distance. I love being a part of the James Valley Christian School community and people of other denominations and other churches when coaching cross-country and being able to work with different people. Does that mean all of those relationships have always been good? No. There's been a lot of angry parents Conversations over the years. Sometimes because of mistakes I've made and sometimes I believe because of no fault of my own. And yet every day I have to remind myself, stay in hope. That person that maybe mistreated me in the past, well, the Apostle Paul was guilty of that too. Stay in hope. Keep seeking restoration never close the door. They're a brother and sister in Christ. Even if they worship differently, even if they think differently, even if they leave here and go somewhere else, it's okay. I can live at peace because my job's pastor, not Holy Spirit. You can live at peace because none of us are called to be everything to everybody. We're just called to be in community. We're going to pick up on this even more next week. We're going to talk about our church a little bit more, and we're going to build on some of the stuff that I've shared today. But my hope is over the next week that the Holy Spirit, one, would correct us of any place that we've allowed cynicism or frustration or bitterness into our lives towards the body of Christ. Okay, so in the time of confession, that's what we want. Holy Spirit, show us those things. But also, Holy Spirit, what do I need to do to go first? It's easy for us to look at a church culture or a work culture or any culture and talk about how toxic that culture is or how bad that culture is. But ultimately, I'm in that culture. And so I'm a part of the badness because I'm in it. And so if you attend Restoration Church, you are a part of our church culture. Yep. So what can I do to start changing the deficiencies? That's what I've been asking the Holy Spirit to help us with over this week. And so, Father, that's my prayer for us. Holy Spirit, over this week, search our hearts. Show us any area where we have allowed cynicism, criticalness, frustration, even bitterness into our hearts to put us in a place where we have lost hope, where we've become indifferent to the body of Christ, where it's okay for us to just show up on Sunday morning, do the worship thing, and not really think about the body of Christ the rest of the week. Show us where we need to change. Show us how I, show us how we can be a part of making a difference in the culture of Restoration Church to be a place where we can actually confess our sins. To one another, a place where we can encourage one another, a place where we can come to agreement with one another and live in peace with one another so that we actually live out this restoration that you have always dreamed for us. And so, Holy Spirit, over this week ahead, do a deep work in each of our lives. Give us the opportunity to see the things that we haven't seen before the areas of our hearts where we've been blinded by our own biases or our own insecurities or hurts or fears. And help us to welcome the type of accountability with others in this body. Where they can help us see things that we can't see without their help. So Holy Spirit, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you will finish the work that you started in my life in the lives of those that are here in Restoration Church and God not just our church but every church in this community every church in this nation every church around the world may we actually be one the way that you are one and totally reflect your image to the world that's watching Give us grace for it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here today. Um, Hope that, I hope that I've put hope in your heart for what is possible. And uh, I pray that over this week ahead, pray into those things and allow the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind the things that He needs to. I want to encourage you to stop by the table in the lobby before you leave today. There is information out there. If you didn't get the letter in the mail, those will be out there. Uh, If you need to fill out a new information card, please do that. Uh, There is all kinds of stuff available out there at the table. The offering baskets are there as well. Thank you for your faithful giving, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Don't forget House of Prayer tonight at 5 o'clock as well. God bless you as you go.